Hi, Jericho. Hi. We're back. I'm back from, I guess I went to Italy for two weeks, but it didn't seem like it because the podcasts kept a rolling. How was it? It was good. It What's was... the best thing you ate? Linguini and clams anywhere and everywhere. So, yeah, just really good food and wine everywhere. And I feel like a walking piece of bread now. Fun. Yeah. <laughs> but before we get into our interview with Sarah Kunst, who's the founder and CEO of Pro Day, I want to talk a little bit about my boodles. Yes. So I have three poodles. Uh huh. Have you met all of them? No, oh but I've, I've seen pictures of them. I've never brought them to the office. Please do. Yeah, I will. It's a lot of work. Um, yeah. Even just one is a lot of work. Um, and one is a lot. But when there's three, they go in three different directions and they poop at three different times. Mm. That's why I like using Link AKC. It is a tracker mm-hmm. for your dog. It's a GPS locator, fitness tracker, and more, all controlled through a smartphone app. So you always know where your dog is. And if your dog is drinking or cheating on you, <laughs> if your dog's at the strip club again, you know it's time <laughs> to time talk. dog. So it comes in every size, and mm-hmm. it actually has an activity and wellness tracker for your dog as well. Keeping your dog safe, happy, and healthy just got even easier with a special offer from Link AKC. Go to linkakc.com and use code GIRLBOSS to save 30% on your order with free shipping. That's code GIRLBOSS to save 30% on your order with free shipping at linkakc.com. That's L-I-N-K-A-K-C.com. Code GIRLBOSS. Success. It's such a complicated idea, and yet for so long, we've all collectively subscribed to a single definition of the word, which was likely given to us by a white-haired dude somewhere in a boardroom in the 1960s. And there's nothing wrong with that definition, with the notion of climbing a corporate ladder with a singular focus. But it's time to make space for a few other definitions, for side hustles and well-being and failing forward, and for the idea that success is a wild ride, not the destination at the end of it. Join me for a journey into the lives of women who are redefining success and paving the way for others with grit and grace. I'm Sophia Amoruso, the founder and CEO of Girlboss Media, and this is Girlboss Radio. Let's travel to a tiny town in rural Michigan. Imagine a town with one gas station and one stoplight. In this small Michigan town, Sarah Kunst spent her childhood days working on a farm. She took dance classes. She loved art and travel and was super excited when her subscription to Vogue and Mail Order Delia's catalogs arrived in the mail. From a young age, Sarah's parents taught her the value of hard work. Hard work that paid off in spades. When you Google Sarah, for a woman who is just new to her 30s, her list of accomplishments is astoundingly lengthy. Sarah was on the 2015 Forbes magazine 30 Under 30 list. She was named a top 25 innovator in tech by Cool Hunting. Mark Andreessen named her one of his 55 unknown rock stars in tech. And Mary Claire magazine named her a young gun to watch. Some people really thrive in an environment where the biggest thing is, hey, show up, fit in, you know, talk to people over the water cooler. And uh, you don't have to do anything, but you shouldn't ruffle any feathers. i thrive in the opposite environment, which is sort of jump in, sink or swim, figure it out yourself. After college, Sarah's hustle and spirit helped her land jobs on both coasts, including a place in the VC world. Innovation is life for Sarah. Her latest project, a fitness app, Pro Day, gives you the opportunity to engage with fitness celebrities and world-renowned superstar athletes wherever they may roam. 
every athlete has an interesting life, and we don't see any of it the way that we do celebrity lives. And so that's really what inspired us. She's equal parts dreamer and doer, and she oozes a confidence that I wish I could bottle and share with you. Maybe I'd be president right now. I'm too young right now, but eventually. And I would do far better things. We set up this conversation so that we could deep dive into the world of a millennial founder, but also because Sarah recently did something that many of us may not have had the guts to do. Sarah went public detailing her experience with sexual harassment for a recent piece in The New York Times, exposing creepy, lecherous misogyny that runs rampant. When it's systemic and you as a guy know that if you harass somebody in a certain way or or with a certain approach that they're going to doubt themselves or be too meek or whatever to speak up. And even if they do, they probably won't have strong enough proof for everybody else to feel like icky or uncomfortable and no media company will want to cover it, whatever it is, or no one will want to hire them again because they're a squeaky wheel. You have this system that protects you so well that you don't really have to do anything to protect yourself. You can literally send email confirmations of your guilt. To do what Sarah did takes bravery. We'll talk to Sarah about why she came forward after we spent some time with Girlboss.com editorial director Jericho Mandibur. Hello, Jericho. Hi. Hey, Jericho. Hi. How's it going? Good. Good, well, thanks. How was your week? I saw it. Oh my God, so did I. It was pretty sad. It's so scary. But it, but it was fun. It gave me a migraine. Really? It was like yeah. so much. The banter between the kids was my favorite It was part. really, really well done. They were cute. Yeah, it was fun. It was really, really fun. And that's not what I want to talk to you about. What do you want to talk about? Saying sorry. Oh yeah? Um, do you have something to apologize for? I'm sorry for everything. <laughs> You know how everybody says that women should stop saying sorry so much? Yeah. What do you think about that? I think that if you feel like you should apologize for something, you should. I think sometimes it's just not worth it. I'd rather say sorry for things sometimes than have things be uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Like my integrity isn't shattered if I take responsibility for something just to make life easier for everyone involved. Mm Mm-hmm. I think that's intelligent. I don't think that that puts me in a position of weakness. Yeah. But I think maybe for some people, like, it would put them in a position. I don't know, you know? Yeah. I think people are very, like, if you really mean it, then isn't it, like, a show of your, like, strength and vulnerability and integrity and all that stuff? And I kind of feel like, why do women have to say sorry less? Like, why do men just say sorry more? I'm okay with people that apologizing. I think apologizing is just kind of courteous. I've known people who refuse to apologize for things just because they're extremely stubborn and it's really, really uncomfortable. And it's also, it seems like at a certain point, people are very limited personally when they're unable to apologize. It says a lot about a person if they Mm -hmm. can't just like get over it Mm -hmm. and be like, hey, I'm sorry too. Usually Mm -hmm. more than one person's responsible for something. Mm. Yeah. Time and a place. So on girlboss.com, there's a story all about this. It's a writer called Suze Tucker, and she's talking about how she has a tendency to say sorry to everything. She says sorry to inanimate objects if she bumps into them. And that's the kind of, like, overt use of saying sorry that she feels that people need to curb. But she also makes a really good point about what we've just discussed about people saying sorry when they really mean it and with sincerity and how that's a good thing and we shouldn't, like, throw the baby out with the bathwater, so to speak. Anything else? Oh, oh! do we want to talk about the rally? Mm-hmm. So we have a very exciting announcement. If you guys don't know, we had a conference, a Girl Boss conference, called the Girl Boss Rally in March of this year. And we had 500 awesome girls from over 15 countries in downtown Los Angeles with over 50 speakers. It was 
like a Noah's Ark of ambitious girls. We're having another one in Brooklyn mm-hmm. on 11-11, November 11th, all day. Sick. It's a Saturday. Tickets are on sale now at girlbossrally.com. Amazing. Are you going to be there? Em. I'll be there. Hell yeah. <laughs> That's in November. Oh, and then before that, mm-hmm. I have a I have a book coming out called oh The Girl God. Boss Workbook. It's out on October 24th. And it is an illustrated guide to winning at life. I've seen it. It's really fun. Oh, thanks. Um, So it's a totally interactive journal workbook uh, where you can reverse engineer a whole bunch of things from cover letters to thank you notes to employers to get advice on how to do your research before a job interview to making your reverse bucket list and writing down the things that you never want to do in your Mm -hmm. lifetime. You can pre-order it now. Mm-hmm. Uh, anywhere books are sold. Cool. Go do it. <laughs> Jericho, mm-hmm. do you know what I love more than anything? What's that? Making ship happen. Oh, shit. <laughs> Sorry. So, yeah, I want to talk about ShipStation. Mm-hmm. Uh, ShipStation is a service that allows you to get your online orders out super quickly and keep your customers happy, uh, whether you're using Shopify, Squarespace, Etsy, BigCommerce, WooCommerce, or over 75 other popular selling channels. I wish this was around when I was selling on eBay. It wasn't. And ShipStation creates shipping labels for all the top carriers, including UPS, FedEx, USPS, It is the number one choice of online sellers. And you can manage your orders from your phone. And right now, you can try ShipStation free for 30 days and get an additional month free only if you use our exclusive promo code GIRLBOSS. Don't wait. Go to ShipStation.com and before you do anything else, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in GIRLBOSS. That's ShipStation.com. Enter GIRLBOSS. S-H-I-P-S-T-A-T-I-O-N.com. Enter Girl Boss Ship Station. Make ship happen. You know what else I like, Jericho? M.M. LaFleur. Yeah, you have to say it because my accent is not good. Getting up for work is hard enough. Sifting through your closet with the hopes of finding the perfect outfit is that much harder. And some days I really dread trying to figure out what to wear. It's a lot of to think about, right? It's the pits. I mean, that's why you wear the same thing every day. Right? Literally <laughs> I mean, the same thing. I'm like, Daria. I kind of do too. Yes. It's so nice to just have your voice. Like, you can, like, pick your zits and, like, not wear makeup and just wear, like, denim on denim and, like, have a podcast and nobody really cares what you're wearing. But when it does matter, there's M.M. LaFleur. (laughs) So now you have help. M.M. LaFleur. Their goal is to help professional women build a wardrobe of versatile pieces that are machine washable, travel friendly, and reflect you and your personal style. You take a quick online survey and one of M.M. LaFleur's online stylists will send you a bento box of four to six wardrobe pieces, dresses, skirts, tops, and you'll also get a few accessories. They're all picked just for you. It's the best way to experience M.M. LaFleur. Each M.M. LaFleur customer works one-on-one with an M.M. stylist who helps build her work wardrobe in a systematic, personalized way. Once your bento arrives, you'll have four days to try on everything at home before deciding what to keep. You won't be charged anything up front, so you're basically shopping for free. Your whole home becomes a fitting room, and you only pay for the items you keep. Shipping is free both ways. It is not a subscription service, so there's no commitment. To try a bento, visit www.mmbento.com. That's www.mmbento.com. 
Now let's turn to Sarah Kunst. She's the founder and CEO of ProDay and a brave woman who is speaking out about her experience with sexual harassment in Silicon Valley. My first two jobs were on a farm. I picked strawberries and I pulled we- like weeds and I-, I hoed a bean field like full of like really tall weeds. How old were you? Twelve. Yeah, my mom's my mom's high school boyfriend and his wife, you know, owned this little farm, and they were like, "Your kids could work here if they want," and so we worked there. So you got to keep the money. Yeah. Well, I guess it'd be it weird pretty if good you had money. to give it to your parents. No, it's pretty good. It was pretty good money. It was like twelve dollars an hour or something when you're twelve Whoa. in a town of three hundred people where the ice cream costs fifty cents. It's still above minimum wage. That's amazing. Just think about that. But yes, yeah, it yeah, was you know, pretty know. good money for for a kid in summer. Wow. So you're from Michigan. I am. Michigan is a very small town. I'm going back tomorrow randomly. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I joined a board at Michigan State University because they need more. They need better access to technology to, like, venture capital funds. And they also want to be more diverse about who they invest in. And so I joined this board, and I'm, like, the youngest person by 30 years, and everybody's old and white. And I'm like, oh my God. I have some ideas. You go to school there? Yeah. So what did you study in college? Advertising. Do you consider yourself a marketer? Yeah, and that I'm in the business of making money and growing audiences. But I know. It's like, what <laughs> is really. marketing, yeah. kind of? Every, I mean, everything's marketing, because otherwise you're buy, building something that no one's buying. Sarah's entrepreneurial spirit was clear even in early college when she became a campus ambassador for all kinds of brands. I started... Was at Michigan State, joined a sorority, needed money, didn't want to work at a mall like eight hours a day and miss out on partying. So I figured I would get a job where I didn't have to like sit there at the mall all day, like at Bath and Body Works or something. <laughs> um, and so I found a, a job advertisement to be a campus rep for Tag Body Spray, which is like, oh, it's body spray. It's like terrible. Kind of like Axe. Like it's, it's Axe's competitor. And so I I would just give it away on campus. Like, I'd go to all the fraternities. I'd give them tag body spray. So they'd smell like tag body spray. And then I'd give it to all the girls because you could still smoke in bars. And it's actually really effective um, when your hair still smells like smoke. You spray that stuff in there. It's better than any dry shampoo at at covering the smell and getting it out. Wow. So So you got to party and you were making all kinds of friends with girls. Exactly. (laughs) So I was like, I can make your hair not smell like the bar. And then... Once you have one campus rep job, you can just keep stacking them. So at one point, you would go into the student union, and I would have my little table. And it would be Tag Body Spray, Apple Computers, Red Bull, and Ford Motors. Like, I had all of it in one table. And so I was making, like, $75 an hour because I had, like, four or five campus rep jobs at once, and I would do them all at once, like, for 10 hours a week. Wow. And so it was just, like, really efficient. But then I worked for Apple through that and, and kind of ended up in technology after that. Wow. And so what did you do as a a campus rep for Apple? That's amazing. They had three main marketing messages um, that Windows, that Apple's compatible with Windows and (laughs) um, that Apple computers are competitively priced with other, because this is pre-iPhone, that Apple computers are competitively priced and that students get a discount. And so it was basically just my job to sort of tell people that. But then I would end up in this weird position where I was like a quasi genius bar because I'd get calls and I'd be like, my boyfriend's computer crashed and his final's due tomorrow. What does he do? And I'm like, um, he could try to restart it. 
You're like, there's a genius bar. But there's not because it's the middle of nowhere, Michigan. So the closest Apple store is like an hour and a half, two hours away. So that's why they needed campus reps. And do you feel like that was great training ground for pitching as an entrepreneur? For like, I mean, when we met, you walked up to me at a conference, Mm -hmm. which is like, I'm still, I'm still like kind of scared to do that with Mm -hmm. people. Do you feel like that was like a great training ground for Yeah, I mean I think it it those kinds of jobs where you're sort of alone and you're kind of an outside salesperson and it's like okay go do this, you sort of sink or swim. It's not the same. Some people really thrive in an environment where the biggest thing is hey show up, fit in, you know, talk to people over the water cooler and uh you don't have to do anything but you shouldn't ruffle any feathers. I thrive in the opposite environment, which is sort of jump in, sink or swim, figure it out yourself, and FaceTime doesn't really count for anything. And so I think the people who thrive in that environment are probably already doing that. But I think that it hones your ability to do those things when you start to see, especially I think as a woman, the positive feedback loop of, oh, getting out there and somehow convincing the director of student affairs to be to let you into the student union when literally every other brand has to pay thousands of dollars for it and you get it for free because she likes you. Like, okay, going out there, kind of standing up, doing your own thing can be lucrative and you can get rewarded for it. So I'm trying to chart like the trajectory. So you worked at Apple. What took you to California? Was it Apple? No, actually. Um, I graduated college, moved to New York, worked at Chanel in marketing, and remember sitting at my desk one day and being like, who's Bernie Madoff? And then the entire world sort of fell off a cliff in 2008-2009, and I shifted over to digital media um, and worked for a couple digital media startups in New York doing sort of the stuff now that seems so obvious, but I was on the business side. So I'd be like, oh, let's like run a contest. And if people like our tweets, then we'll enter them in a contest. And it was like really, you know, kind of like groundbreaking at the time. And so so sort of was part of the rise of a lot of the kind of, I would say like second wave of digital media after the the first wave was kind of the the daily candies of the world. And then in like Women 2.0 and that kind of stuff. And then there was this other wave of sort of, you know, Thrillist and College Humor and a lot of those. And and I worked for companies like that and then eventually ended up at a startup, a venture capital-backed startup that was in San Francisco, but I was in New York running the business side. It was around fashion, like kind of shop the look. Here's how to get your own, you know, whatever jean jacket that you get inspiration from a model on. And, and we had a lot of big investors. And so then when that company ran out of money, I was talking to an investor and kind of asking her, hey, like, what do I do? How do I stay how do, how do we keep the company alive? And she's like, the company is definitely not going to live, and that's okay. Like, deal with that. But you seem like you understand venture and you have interesting perspectives on investing. And she'd send me things and be like, what do you think about, like, candles, candle sales? And I was like, oh, like, you know, Sensations is like a $3 billion business of people who are like, want candles but are afraid to use flames. And like, you know, the whole candle warmers are huge. But this, all this stuff. And she was like, okay, I think you can be an investor. I think you'd be good at this. So um, I worked for her, you know, so, so did that. And then when I decided to start my own company, decided that I LA or San Francisco is a better place to do that because of the access to venture capital. And so moved there only like three years ago, started my company. And then as it's kind of growing a little bit beyond the seed stage, some of my investors kind of said to me, you know, hey, it seems like you're having a hard time hiring in San Francisco. 
why don't you hire more in LA? Why don't you hire more in New York? And I started to look at it and I was like, that's a good question. I think I'm going to actually move to LA and be able to do that hiring easier. And so now I'm here. Welcome to LA. Thanks. So tell me about starting Pro Day. Tell us what Pro Day is to begin with. Yeah. So Pro Day is a sports media company. Basically, I grew up in the Midwest, love sports and you know, would spend a lot of time tailgating, a lot of time, you know, the 96 Bulls were my favorite team and and got to this point where I was like, wait, why do I know so much about any celebrity, right? Like people like Jennifer Aniston, who is great, but not like my number one celebrity. I I can tell you so much about everything she does in her life. But then somebody like Michael Jordan, who I'm adopted, and like I would always say when I was little, I'd always be like, God, I hope Michael Jordan's my birth father, right? Because <laughs> um, when you're adopted, you spend all your time thinking about that. So, you know, I don't know how many kids he actually has, right? Like this could be my half-siblings. They're not, but they could be, you know? And so I realized there was this disconnect where we love sports, we watch sports, we spend a ton of money on sports and sports gear. Like think about the fact that no matter how much you love a brand post, let's say, 1999, it's relatively unlikely that you're wearing that brand literally on your back, right? Whereas sports and and getting it tattooed or something is even less likely, whereas millions of people have Michael Jordan tattoos. Like, wrap your mind around that, right? And almost every guy that you know, if you open up his closet, you will find some athlete's name on some piece of clothing. Mm -hmm. But we don't know anything about these people. We don't know, you know, where they live, what they do for fun, the charities they work with, what they eat, what their kids look like. They all have adorable kids for the most part. Um, For the most part, they all have kids. All their kids are adorable. They do have. um, (laughs) And they're cool and they're fun. They're doing interesting things. They're giving back to the community. They're doing all this stuff and we just don't see it unless it's an example like somebody like Magic Johnson, who you do see it because he's just so much larger than life Um, and had, you know, obviously for years a very kind of public story and narrative. But every athlete has an interesting life and we don't see any of it the way that we do celebrity lives. And so that's really what inspired us. We started with fitness and nutrition because the things that athletes do to work out and eat, it's really fascinating. It's also really useful when you're trying to like get in shape and you realize like, oh, I just have to work a lot harder and eat a lot cleaner, um, which is sort of depressing. Like, yeah, it's really depressing. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I spent two weeks in Italy and ate like pasta for breakfast. Every- it was like, oh. Yeah, that's that's probably not going to be on like a athlete's no, meal plan no. unless they're carbo loading, which even the huge guys do it so much less frequently than you would think. It's so depressing. But, you know, so we, we really started there and then went into style and culture and, and politics. Now we do a lot of um, because of the things that are happening with like Colin Kaepernick and, and Trump and all of that. So we just have just really expanded our focus and the athletes love it because we might be the first people to interview them and talk to them about some of these issues. And, you know, the fans love it because we're bringing them a whole new side of their favorite athlete that's so obvious, but nobody ever covered or talked about before. Yeah. And you know that people are Googling that stuff. Exactly. What is – so is SEO pretty big for you guys? SEO is a big part of it, um, especially on social media. We're super active on social media. Um, It's a great place for this stuff to live because no matter how – 
big of a fan you are of any athlete, you you can't keep track of every athlete in every sport. Um, and there's always something kind of interesting popping up that you just wouldn't find another way. And so we sort of aggregate a lot of that. And then a lot of our original reporting, it's interviews and it's features. Um, and it's just talking about a, either a different take or a story that maybe other people kind of overlook and forget because it's not, hey, here's who's going to win the Super Bowl. So tell me about starting your company. What was mm-hmm. the first thing that you did? The first thing I did, like literally the first thing, I was watching Ballers um, because The Rock is responsible for all of my good ideas. And so I was watching Ballers and I was like, wait, these guys have such cool lives. Like, why don't we see more like kind of inside the life of athletes? So I posted on Facebook and I was just like, hey, you know, does anybody know a former current professional athlete I could talk to? preferably NFL or NBA, and a few people responded, and they were like, yeah, this person, this person. So I reached out to them, and I was kind of just like, hey, you know, when you're playing and then even when you're done playing, like, one, what do you do with your time? And two, what kind of press opportunities do you have? And it became apparent really quickly that the majority of their opportunities were focused on, you know, did you win? Did you lose? Are you going to win? Are you going to lose? But their lives, especially, I mean, by the time you're 35, right, and you're a pro athlete, that's young in like people years. But in athlete years, you've been playing the sport day in and day out for probably over two decades. And yeah, you love it, but it's not the same sort of level of intensity and passion that you might have when you talk about the new restaurant that you want to open or the charity that you're working on and like changing kids' lives, right, or your own kids. And so there was just a lot of excitement around that, first around fitness and nutrition. And then as we've expanded our focus, you know, people are are continually sort of expanding with us. And they're really happy that we care about what they do kind of off the field. Did you raise money before you started the business? I did not. I raised money right after I started the company. The LA Dodgers do an accelerator. And I, with, with RGA, which is an ad agency, and I found out about the accelerator. It was already closed. They'd already accepted all the, the companies. The companies were going to start in three weeks. And I was like, well, I have to do this accelerator. And so because I'd spent a long time in the tech world, just getting to know people, helping people, doing good work, being around, being somewhat visible. I literally spent a weekend and I messaged like 10 people, 20 people, and had them all message who knew the the Dodgers or the RGA team. I was like, you have to message them and tell them to let me into their program. And so they started messaging. I didn't tell them. This is like kind of crappy, but it worked. Um, I didn't tell them that I told all these other people to do it. So because then they'd be like, oh, well, we'll see what they say. So they just all did it in mass. And then the Dodgers at first were like, no, 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 no. Okay, fine. I was like, okay, great. That's great. And then I talked to them and they were like, well, we don't know. It's too late. I was like, no, 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 really. They're like, okay, fine. And then I was in. So then I came down to LA for a few weeks and had literally a no deck, like nothing. I came up with the name the morning before my Dodgers call. Um, I was talking to a friend and I was like, what should I call the company? He was like, I don't know, call it Pro Day. I was like, okay, what's a Pro Day? Which, you know, Pro Day is when you go work out. If you're a collegiate athlete and you want to make it to the pros, you go work out with the pros so people can like see if you have what it takes to be a pro. And I was like, yeah, that's catchy. Two syllables, easy to spell. I can get the URL. Perfect. Done. And Part of it, I think, especially as an entrepreneur, is if you want to run fast, you have to be willing to, like, 
run fast and not sort of need to stop every few minutes. And so literally, I mean, that's the name and it, it still stands up now. But it's funny because I didn't sort of freak out and try to focus group it for two weeks. I just said, OK, that's the name. Figure I got the rest really out later. far with a company called Nasty Gal, which is still <laughs> shocking. Um, but yeah. But like yeah. you just do it and you, you go don't. and the rest works itself. Like Google's a thing. A really big thing, I hear. I mean, and even Goop. I yeah. mean, no offense, Gwyneth. She was on this podcast a couple weeks ago, but, yeah. like, that's a tough name. Yes, it's totally a tough name that literally has an entire meaning that is not, not what like, it great. Is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but you can do it. And I think that's the biggest thing that you learn is you just sort of say, like, okay, I'm going to get into this accelerator, even though it's completely impossible. I'm just going to do it. I'm going to name this company. And you just sort of do stuff in the self-efficacy of just doing it means that you tend to get somewhere. You have to just do stuff. Yeah. You know, a lot of people want to have their companies buttoned up and perfect before they go out and, you know, even establish their domain name or email address or make a business card or just even have a conversation about it. And I'm much more kind of like a walking focus group. You know, I I just I don't I don't know if I necessarily believe in being as precious as I think some people will advise you to be. You, I mean, you can't be. If if you are precious, think of it like when you build a house, right? You you build some super fancy Malibu estate or something that's kind of a spec home and it's like your thing as an architect and you finally sell it to some obscenely rich person. The first thing they do is say, eh, I'm going to renovate it, right? Like even the most perfect house from the most perfect architect is still going to get renovated. Mm-hmm. Like it's always going to change. Someone used to uh, describe this to me once by saying, like, you start with a skateboard and then you build a bike. Mm-hmm. Like, it's a skateboard. It's got four wheels. It's fine. Eventually, you put, like, the frame on and, like, the handlebars and the seat. But, like, you start with a skateboard and you're always moving. Exactly. So how long after you entered the Dodgers Accelerator Program until you raised your seed round of funding? I kind of started raising money immediately and accidentally. Um, I had already had a coffee on the calendar with Ariel Zuckerberg and, is, you know, got there as two or three weeks into the Dodgers Program. So my company was like six weeks old at this point. Um, and I was telling her about what I was doing. And she's like, great. And I was like, yeah. She's like, well, so can I invest? I was like, yeah. And then we hugged. And I was like, oh, I guess I'm fundraising. Uh, So it sort of just happened. Um, And, you know, there were a lot of small checks. It's weird because I really did a friends and family round. It's just that the first – well, I I did like a friends and family round except for the L.A. Dodgers, which are owned by a $2 billion hedge fund. And then my friends and family were a bunch of like really big name people in tech. And so – and I think that that's why sometimes from the outside things look so different. Different. Um, when you look at people's success or when you look at what people are trying to build, um, because for me, for all intents and purposes, it, it really is just friends and family, right? It's just that you end up with interesting friends and family after a while. How did you get such interesting friends in tech? The reason is that from the age of like 23 on when I started working in tech until I was like 28, 29, so I spent like five, six years just being kind of around and, and doing my job, doing my work, but always taking on more responsibility, always being willing to do more things um, and always being willing to help people and and being really easy to work with on kind of every sort of every facet. Right. Like showing up and working hard are things that you just sort of take for granted that you have to do. But a lot of people don't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> then all of a sudden you're out, out working them um, and you're actually there working. And and 
I just have also done a lot of favors for people over the years and, and not like big favors. I don't have I've not for the most of my career had enough power to do big favors. It's just like weird, dumb little things. Like there were a couple of years in New York where I worked in um, nightlife media. And so I met all these billionaires through that because they would be at we'd be at a tech party or we'd be at a tech dinner and they'd be like, oh, like, have you heard of this club? And I'd be like, yeah, like, do you want me to physically like take a half hour out of my night, walk you to the door and tell the doorman this person is an important billionaire, <laughs> yeah, yeah. even though he's wearing khaki shorts so that you can get in? And they were like, yes. Aww. And I'd be like, sure, okay. But then those favors kind of come back and help you. We'll get into more with Sarah Kunst in a moment. But first, I want to tell you about my favorite way to relax. Jericho, have you tried Zeal yet? No, I'm dying to. Oh, my God. I'm dying to because I just got off a flight and my neck didn't move yesterday. So... I'm going to be calling Zeal, actually not calling them because I don't like talking on the phone. I just have to push a few buttons in their app on my phone and a world-class masseuse is in my home with like the largest, most comfortable massage table you've ever seen. I mean, something we talk a lot about is self-care mm-hmm. and it's a bit of a privilege. Zeal makes it more accessible um, mm-hmm. and brings it to your home. So if you don't have a car, it comes to you. So you can book a massage far in advance. You can book it the same day. Uh, An incredible masseuse. You can choose male or female. Shows up at your house. You can choose which kind of modality you prefer. How long you want the massage to be. Once they're there, you can actually extend it if you'd like to. And they have this incredible subscription service where you get a huge discount if you subscribe to Seal. But you don't have to subscribe. You can just book a single massage and see how you like it. And it's extremely safe. So not only does Zeal have a thorough vetting process for therapists, but they also take it a step further and do an ID verification on customers. So they keep their therapists safe as well. Zeal is the most trusted name in massage. It's super fast and easy. The tip is even included. No money changes hands. Nothing is awkward. And they have over 9,000 licensed therapists who will bring their table, music, everything you need to turn your living room to a spa for a five-star massage. (laughs) To help you get started, our listeners can get $25 off your first massage by using the promo code GIRLBOSS at checkout. And it gets better. Sign up for Zeal's massage membership and get 20% off all your massages plus a free massage table and sheet set. That's a $380 value, yours free. There's no initiation fee to join the membership, just a great additional savings on top of the $25 discount you get anyway by using the promo code GIRLBOSS. So go to Zeal, spelled Z-E-E-L dot com, or go on Zeal's iPhone or Android app and make sure to click add promo code at checkout and use our exclusive code GIRLBOSS to get $25 off your first in-home on-demand massage. So you started raising your seed round accidentally, and then... When you're a startup, I think to some extent you're always fundraising. Um, you're probably kind of always fundraising until you sell the company, um, and then you're always looking for a buyer. But because that's sort of the nature of of as you build something and you're doing cool things, you get more opportunities that are inbound and opportunities, even if not directly, tend to have some cost associated with them or you want more people so you can exploit them and grow faster, exploit the opportunities, not the people. And so you just sort of end up in this position where 
you need more capital. And luckily, you know, we live in an environment, it's still not a great funding environment for women always compared to men, but we live in an environment where there is a mechanism to get more of that capital on pretty good terms if you can convince somebody of your vision. Attention, investors, if you're listening. Companies big and small, if you're not funding women and minorities, no matter how well-intentioned you think you are, you suck. A true ally puts their money where their mouth is. The fun thing about being an investor is it's basically your job to you write a couple checks. You don't write a lot of checks. And I was a more junior investor, so I was writing even fewer checks. So your entire job just becomes helping entrepreneurs build their business and to some lesser extent helping other stakeholders in the industry. So whether that's, you know, if you run into a tech reporter, you want to make sure that you're helping them connect to sources for stories so that they, you know, like your companies or if you're um, or if you talk to a CEO of a huge company, you know, kind of a legacy company and they say, look, we really need to figure out e-commerce. Do you know anybody in e-commerce? You're like, yes, I can connect you there. So you're sort of all you do kind of all day is connect and help people. And I love to do that. And so it's really fun. That part of it is awesome. The harder parts of venture capital, one, especially in Silicon Valley, is it's almost completely a male-dominated industry. And the the issues that spring up from that range from sort of, one, if you're a woman who's not a guy, there's a, a famous hotel right by all the venture capital funds in Sand Hill Road in Silicon Valley called the Rosewood and sort of where you go for meetings because there's nothing else there. Multiple times I would be there waiting for a meeting and guys would come over to me and start asking me if I was a hooker. And I'm like, the politics of sex work aside, like, no, I'm wearing a button down and like (laughs) dress pants. But because the idea that there would just be a attractive young black woman in this circumstance, the only role they could think that she might have was a hooker. That makes me like want to cry. Oh, it's insane. That's so insane. Yeah. Yeah. I've been there. Yeah. I haven't spent that much time. I mean, maybe I wasn't waiting long enough, but holy shit. It's when you're completely alone and you're sitting there waiting. And then, yeah, and, and the funny part is one of the guys, then I saw who he met with later and I knew the guy he was meeting with. And I was like, oh, wow. But I didn't say anything. Um, I usually do, but that time I didn't. So, <laughs> so you know, that, that kind of stuff where it's just like weird and it's bizarre and creepy to, you know, the other extreme. Like I was recently in the New York Times a few months ago now this summer talking about I'd been sexually harassed asked when I was applying for a different venture capital job looking to uh, a few years ago. And, you know, this guy, Dave McClure, was like, yeah, like, I want to hire you and kept talking and, you know, had a few more meetings. And I was like, I don't know if I want to hire you or hit on you. And like is texting me this at 3 a.m. after we were at a conference together. And I was like, what's wrong with you? So tell me more about that, because that made so much noise. And, you know, and you are one of many women who have come forward now and talked about the rampant sexism and harassment in venture capital and in tech, yeah, in the I tech mean, world. It's, it's crazy. Like, it, I mean, one, it's just full out crazy that all these guys are doing this. And the one of the more like there's sort of the absurd parts of it and then just like the terrible and tragic parts of it. One of the absurd parts is these are all like on paper. They're intelligent guys who have a deep understanding of tech and they've spent their whole life in it and almost to a man all of them have been brought down because there's a paper trail and you're like dude so that's sort of the part where it's absurd and you you don't laugh but you like almost you're like okay you know um and and then the rest of it is just yeah it's really inappropriate and i think for a long time women experienced it and felt like maybe it was just them or they had done something wrong or they didn't 
feel like they could say anything because it would hurt their career. And so they just kind of kept quiet. And then I think because of women like Ellen Powell, who came forward and has a book coming out called Reset um, about her experiences suing a huge venture capital fund um, because of sexual harassment that they wouldn't do anything about, you know, it, it the conversation started to change. And largely tech reporters started to want those stories. And so they went from not wanting to talk about it, not wanting to name names, the, the reporters, to begging for more names, more women, more guys that they can, you know, kind of um, expose. And and I think that that's hugely shifted the tide. And it's gotten everybody from, you know, the venture capital funds themselves to the people who invest in venture capital funds to startup founders, boards. You're just seeing a lot more of a somewhat begrudging sometimes, but a lot more of an acceptance of, oh, we have to get rid of the men who are are doing this inappropriate stuff and we need to hire more women. How did it feel when Dave McClure said that to you? Um, it's so weird in the moment when something like that happens because you almost, and I think we've all had moments like this, you know, whether it's, it's sexual harassment or other kinds of, of harassment or something just crazy that happens where you can't, like you're like, wait, I must have missed something, or like, is this a joke, or do I not Did I get accidentally it? wink at this person? Yeah, like, <laughs> what is happening? Um, and so, so there was that, but then it was also weird because he, you know, I saw him the next day at the conf- the next day of the conference, and he acted like everything was normal. You know, it was like, okay, like here's the next steps in the job interview process. So then you're sort of like, wait, is this some sort of like bizarre hazing where you just you know, you say this and, like, you want to, like, see what I'm going to say, but then, like, everything. And then, like, a few months later, of course, I get the call that's like, oh, Sarah, we can't hire you. You're just, you're too aggressive. And I was like, um, what? Wow. <laughs> you know? And so that was really, and I think it was it was only after that that I realized, okay, this isn't, like, some bizarre hazing ritual of Silicon Valley. This is just straight up, like, he was telling me about a job that may or may not have even ever existed in order to because I'd already known him and that's why I was talking to him about the role um, and not like going through you know like a fill out an online form interview so he was sort of leveraging that to be able to do this and then now with what I know about you know I know at least 10 women that he's harassed or assaulted and mm-hmm. in their stories are sort of all the same he you know kind of takes the work situation pushes it like oh later at night let's add alcohol like let me shoot my shot and then you know follows up with like a message just confirming my harassment what it's a loser. so bizarre i know i think that's the sad you know mm-hmm. i mean i think that that everyone knows or knew that there are perpetrators in their communities that are allowed to um, behave this way because they're in a position of power is i don't know it makes everyone really mm-hmm. complicit yeah it's gross but i think for a lot of these guys they're sort of just it's it's systemic this is like my little rant, but it's systemic uh, oppression or it's systemic harassment because the system works, right? Because if anybody is just doing something as a one-off, it's not systemic and you you there's no inertia that's going to keep the ball rolling down the hill. When it's systemic and you as a guy know that the odds that you're – that if you harass somebody in a certain way or, or with a certain approach that they're going to doubt themselves or be too meek or whatever to speak up. And even if they do, they probably won't have strong enough proof or everybody else will feel like icky or uncomfortable and no media company will want to cover it, whatever it is, or no one will want to hire them again because they're a squeaky wheel. Um, you, you have this system that protects you so well that you don't really have to do anything to protect yourself. Right now, you may be thinking about the time something like this happened to you. 
My bet is that all of us right now are thinking about the time or times that some dude said something weird and we didn't know what to do with it. How did you respond? Did you respond? And what can we do to prevent it from happening to our friends and those around us? I told people behind closed doors for a long time, mainly just other women who were young and, you know, asking, hey, should I, you know, talk to this? Should I talk to Dave? Should I, you know, talk to his fund? And I would tell them, like, look, talk to his fund if you want. Um, I wouldn't meet with him alone. And at one point when that was said in like a small Facebook group and and his co-founder, Christine, saw that and sort of was like, well, I don't know what you're talking about. You know, I don't think that anything's ever happened, blah, blah, blah. So I, I knew her and I messaged her and I was like, Christine, look, here's what happened. Here's the proof, all of that. And that was last November. Um, so November 2016. And she just didn't respond. You know, she just didn't. She was kind of like, well, I don't know what you're talking about. Dave doesn't know what you're talking about. I was like, here's the proof. And literally, you know, no no words since. You know, after that, when other people started coming out with more stories and there was this willingness on the part of the media and the part of the public and the part of the tech community to stand up and say, well, this is wrong and to do something about it. When the New York Times came to me and, you know, Katie, the reporter, was very smart about it. She was like, oh, I just want to talk to you about women in tech. I was like, okay. So we like sit down for for lunch at coffee shop in New York. And she's like, so Dave McClure. And I was like, oh, I have good stories. And then it just kind of went from there. And it really happened Did over the course of like five off? days. How did she? Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. I mean, oh, wow. it wasn't supposed to be a secret. I, I figured at some point I would address it. I just thought that I would be like, you know, a billionaire with like beautiful babies and a husband. And instead, I'm like a single struggling startup founder. And now every time I go out on a date, guys are like, I Googled you. And I'm like, oh, OK, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, it's really oh my God. It's really fun to be on Bumble with me right now. <laughs> Holy shit. It's wild. It's oh, wild. Yeah. yeah. So did you were you concerned about backlash? What was that like putting yourself out there with a story that would make your Google search results different for the rest of your yeah. life? Uh, honestly, I didn't really think about it. I just it was sort of like ready, aim, fire because I, I do press. Right. And I'll talk to people about sort of general things about tech or media or sports or whatever. So I didn't really think that much about it. And then once I had decided to do it, it felt right. And there was just kind of momentum going into it. And I was it was just happening, right? And and I kind of held my cards close to my chest, meaning that I'd, I'd showed the reporter, you know, what he had said, but I didn't provide her with what she needed to go to legal at the New York Times and get them to approve it for publication until, I, you know, closer to publication so I could make sure that I was comfortable with the rest of the story and all of that. I didn't feel like I had that much to lose. There there were always people on the fringes who, you know, I had one fund that I was talking to about investment who a couple days after the article came out emailed me and very politely were like, oh, I'm so sorry, we can't invest. Um, we don't like the market size. I'm like, yeah, ESPN's a really small comp, uh-huh. you know, but it is what it is. But those people, were they ever going to be my like in the trenches champion anyway? No. Maybe they would have been good for a couple hundred thousand dollars, which would have been great, but I ended up getting that money from other sources of people who reached out and said, look, you know, we like what you're doing and we were so impressed with your sort of character and willing to step to to speak up and do the right thing that we know that we'll trust you as a CEO. Here's money. Our beloved Beyonce once said, I don't like to gamble, but if there's one thing I'm willing to bet on, it's myself. Sarah Kunst, same, same. It's a good reminder for the rest of us, too. And when it's your turn to stand up and speak out, always tell your truth and bet on yourself. You always want to keep the most impeccable receipts possible. Um, 
And I think that if you don't have, hopefully, whoever's trying to uh, harass you is stupid enough to then send you text message confirmation of the fact. But if they're not, and if they do, screenshot it, save it 25 different places, back it up, like make sure that you have that evidence. But writing out what happens every time something happens is really helpful for keeping your memory fresh. And also because a lot of times when you're a woman, people will say, you know, are you even people who are sympathetic, right? And on your side will say, are you sure? Maybe that's not what happened. What exactly did he say? And you sort of, and it's, it's, even if it's not something, you know, even if it's not rape, it's, it's, traumatic and weird to have to keep like reliving and reliving and why reliving didn't i get this, that like, job yeah because i didn't flirt because exactly date, yeah like he said this shot. yeah like why was this and so even if it's something you know small like you're in somebody's office and you notice that they have you know like whatever porn all over the like you know stack of porn mags or something i don't know who would have magazines anymore. like have you experienced um, that too no but but you see <laughs> but you see weird things right and and just make little notes and keep in mind that they might not be anything but you're sort of like a detective Right. You know, looking at some point for clues when you go back to say, how did this happen? What happened here? Um, The other thing is if things do escalate to a point where you're like, okay, this isn't like a weird like, oh, maybe that's why I didn't get the job. This is almost definitely something. Literally, the the craziest part about all these situations, if you work for somebody or if it's a work situation, you only have like a year to file a complaint. And so there's the statute of limitations is essentially a year on all these things, sometimes three years. So if something happens, you have to go to the Equal Opportunity um, Commission and you file a complaint with them. And they come back to you and they tell you whether or not they grant you the right to sue. If you get the right to sue, then you can sue the company. If you don't get the right to sue, then you can't sue the company or the person for sexual harassment like in a workplace setting. And it's the same with ageism and, and um, a bunch of other kind of uh, racism, all these things, right? You you basically have to go ask somebody else, a, a different organization, to allow you to, you know, kind of t- call That's them to weird. task. It is weird. And the, the harder thing is when you think about it, a year, and that includes like holidays, weekends, whatever, from the time something happened, you, you might – not even have it might not even be fully played out yet right like it's it's a weird hard situation so the other thing is if you think something's happening you know literally google sexual harassment lawyer and in your state and and call somebody absolutely so we have time for just a couple more questions mm-hmm. um you know what we're exploring with girl boss is this concept of success and you know it's a construct that was built by and for white guys and some of us have figured out how to like play in that wheelhouse and others are creating our own or you know questioning it within the you know power the structures mm-hmm. that that exist and it's not just financial it's personal success should just you know it it shouldn't just be in one direction mm-hmm. and i don't want to answer the question for you but everyone has a different idea of what that means what does success mean to you you know i i think for me success is I'm a business person. I really enjoy the intricacies of business. I've bored many dates by trying to like explain to them passionately about how in LA all garages should be, you know, destroyed and turned into mother-in-law units that can then be rented out. Like I just like business, even really <laughs> like boring things about business. My dad sells insurance and I find it fascinating, not just because he's great, right? So, you know, for me, I want to be in business. I'll always be in business. Because I'll be in business, the way that we keep score in business is money, right? The way that you keep score in, I don't know, heart surgery is how many people are still alive after you give them a heart transplant. Even if you weren't making any money, then you could maybe feel successful. So I do care about money. 
I also see how many look, Donald Trump would not be president if his dad wasn't rich. And that is as true of a fact as I have. And I think that Donald Trump is a terrible person and president and doing horrible things to the country. So does money matter? Yeah, because if my grandfather was that rich, right, then maybe I'd be president right now. I'm too young right now, but eventually. And I would do far better things, even though not perfect things. I could see you. Sarah Coons 2024. No, oh I'm just God. joking. No, um, I'm voting. I'm sending <laughs> my ballot in now. Perfect. Perfect. So I, I do think money matters. That being said, you know, rich people who are unhappy inside are it's like the the worst cliche. And, you know, it's probably the only thing worse than that is being poor and unhappy inside. But so so money matters. But I think it's having a sense of fulfillment and contentment with your life. And it's sort of waking up every morning and looking around and it's not that you don't have challenges because everybody has challenges but it's it's surrounding yourself with challenges that you're excited to tackle and that you're excited to to solve and to build and to fix and surrounding yourself with people that you like i think a lot of times it's easy to feel sort of isolated because there's so much technology around us that you don't have to interact with other people so just finding ways to interact with and stay in touch with and be with people who make you happy and also just accepting what makes you happy, right? Some people feel like it, they feel like a jerk because they say, oh, I really want a boyfriend or I really want a dog or I really want to learn how to surf. Like, don't feel bad about what makes you happy. Just mm-hmm. go find a way to put it into your life and make sure that your priorities are stacked so that you have space for it. And if you can do that and pay your rent and and you know, you're probably going to be happy. Mm-hmm. As long as the boyfriend's not the only thing you want. Exactly. He's paying your rent because then if he goes away, you might not be able to pay your rent. Exactly. You never want a man to pay your bills. <laughs> confidence is the thing that separates those who dream from those who do. And Sarah Kunst is confident. At the end of our conversation, I asked Sarah to tell me about her most recent girl boss moment. I expected her to have about 100 of them. So actually earlier today at the massage, I always have my phone on silent, but my phone uh, was not on silent for some reason. And so it rang and I knew I was like, oh, no, I know exactly who it is. And so, I'm, you know, getting a massage and the phone rings and it's Gretchen Whitmer, who's running for governor of Michigan because we're talking about a, a, a fundraiser I'm going to help her with. And I was like, this is such like an Ari Gold moment. Like you're, you know, you're getting your massage and the phone's ringing and you're like, oh, you know, tell the governor. And it, it just was so funny and surreal like granted it's like a group on massage and like she you know left 20 minutes early and I couldn't answer the phone <laughs> but you know it's still and Gretchen, Gretchen's not governor yet but it's still one of those moments that if somebody described it to you five or ten years ago you'd be like really that's gonna happen to me and it's just sort of fun to have those and sort of sit in that moment yeah. um, before kind of moving on with the rest of your life. That was Sarah Kunst. For more about her company, ProDay, visit ProDay.co. Thank you so much for hanging out with me and Girlboss Radio today. Remember, you can buy tickets for the Girlboss Rally at GirlbossRally.com, and you can pre-order my next book, Girlboss Workbook, anywhere books are sold. And for more great features from Jericho and the incredible Girlboss editorial team, check out Girlboss.com. Follow us on our socials anywhere at Girlboss. And remember, sharing is caring and subscribing is really important for our podcast to rise through the ranks of mostly dudes, almost all dudes in the business section where we reached number one a couple weeks ago. Yay! Oh my God. I'm so sorry, Tim Ferriss. I love you. But, you know. Not sorry. Gotta make a little room. Not sorry. Sorry. 